0: Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Joshua.
1: God
0: God had given the children of Israel victory over the walled city of Jericho. Finally, in the land, the Israelites were moving into all that God had promised them. Their next obstacle was the city of Ai. The nation of Israel was defeated because there was sin in the camp. Someone had stolen from the things God had claimed to be destroyed. One man's sin caused the whole nation to stumble. The people were heartbroken over the loss of God's favor. We join Pastor Will in Joshua chapter 7, verse 7.
1: And so finally, at evening, Joshua opens his mouth and he says, "'Alas, O Lord God, wherefore or why have you at all brought this people over, Jordan, to deliver us unto the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Why did you bring us over here just to destroy us?' And then he says, "'Would to God, we had been content and just stayed on the other side of Jordan, enjoyed what you'd given to us there.'" Joshua, first off, he's clearly confused here, but he starts off with a question. If we aren't in your favor, then why did you bring us here to kill us? Why not do it before here? Why get our hopes up first? It seems cruel. The question that he asks implies that God's disfavor is for some past misdeed, not for something that just happened, but for something that happened long in their past. So his question is based on wrong information, which leads him to a wrong conclusion. He says, would that we were content to stay on the other side of Jordan. See, Joshua believes that their problem isn't that someone stole something. He doesn't think that happened. He thinks that God's upset because they assumed God would bless them with the land and that that was overreaching on God's grace instead of being thankful for what God had already done and being content with that. Have you ever thought that you were in a mess you're in because you overestimated how good God is? I've felt that way before. You step out in faith. You think, God, oh God I think you want to bless me or you want to do this in my life. You step out in faith and you're in a mess. And you're like, oh Lord, I think I presumed upon your grace or what a fool I am to think that you would want to bless me or do something good in my life. Why would I ever dare to think God would want to bless me more than he already has? If you're ever thinking that, you have misread the situation just like Joshua did here because God is good all the time. And he always blesses us because of his goodness, never because of our worthiness. And if you want to estimate the worth that God sees in you, well, guess what? You're clothed in the righteousness of his son. So you will never fall short of his worthiness in that sense, worthy of his being his blessing because you're in Christ. While these are Joshua's personal concerns, his greater question comes in verse eight, where he's saying, Lord, where do we go from here? I mean, he doesn't understand what's going on. He misreads the situation, thinks they presumed upon God's grace too much. But when he gets to verse eight, he he really gets to the real problem in front of him. He says, oh Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns their backs against the enemy. What shall I say when Israel turns their backs from before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land, when they shall hear of it, what happened here at Ai, they're going to surround us. That's what environment means. They're going to surround us with their superior numbers and they will cut off our name from the earth. And then Lord, what will you do under your great name? Because it'll show that you didn't keep your word because you promised us this land. Joshua's basically saying, Lord, after this, how do I keep Israel from running before the battle even starts? I mean, we're gonna be surrounded. The Canaanites are gonna take great courage from this and they do have superior numbers from us and they will overwhelm us. If you're not with us in that moment, they will crush us. So what do I do? Where do we go from here, Lord? And you know what, that's what's different about Joshua's complaint, if you can call it that, and then Israel's complaints in the wilderness. Remember, they would say, God, why'd you bring us out here to die? And then God would judge them. There's a difference between the two questions, even though the wording is very similar. See, Joshua hasn't lost faith in God. He just wants to know where to go from here. He doesn't understand. He thinks he has an idea. He's totally off. But he still believes that God can work. He believes that God will still show mercy, that God still loves Israel. So there is great faith in a statement, even though it's heart-wrenching, and he doesn't know what God's doing. And more importantly, we see great faith in Joshua's last question because he says, Lord, if Israel is destroyed by their enemies, then what will that do to your awesome reputation? That's what concerns me the most. So Joshua is shell-shocked, and he has totally misread the situation, but his heart is yielded to the Lord, which means God will course-correct him so he can fix things. And so the first thing God says to him is, get up. Why are you here lying upon your face? (laughs) It is a heavy thought when you read it because you think, that's a little harsh, Lord. But you know what? There's not really anything else that God could say in that moment to get Joshua's attention, the sense of get up means you're completely wrong about this situation. No amount of fasting or mourning or prayer is going to fix this. It's not about any of those things. You remember when, when Moses, God leads them into the dead end. You got the Red Sea in front of him, the two mountains beside him. And then, of course, the word comes the Egyptian army's coming out to get him. Pharaoh's had a change of heart. And so Israel starts complaining and Moses going, why would you bring us out here to die? And the Bible says Moses falls on his face before the Lord to pray. And the Lord goes, get up, put your staff in the water and see, stand and see the salvation of your God. It wasn't time to pray, it was time to act. And in this situation, it wasn't about fasting or praying or mourning or even about repentance. It was about dealing with what really caused the problem. And that's what he says to him Why are you here on your face? You didn't presume upon my grace too much. You can't do that. I'm, I'm an awesome God but the answer should be obvious, Joshua. You had my favor when you took Jericho. If you put the pieces together, I wouldn't have knocked the walls down if you didn't have my favor then. So you had my favor when you took Jericho. So there's only one thing that could have happened to remove it afterwards. Verse 11. "'Israel has sinned, "'and they have also transgressed my covenant "'which I commanded them. "'How? "'For they have even taken of the accursed thing, "'and I have also stolen and dissembled also, "'and they have put it even among their own stuff. "'Therefore, or this is why, "'the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, "'but turned their backs before their enemies "'because they were accursed.'" Cut and dried, simple. Now, the Lord gives great detail here that verse one does not give to us. The Lord says, someone stole. That means it didn't belong to anyone else except the Lord. So someone stole from me is what God says of the things that were of value that were dedicated to him. And then he says, not only did they just steal, not only did they just take the, it's not like Achan found it sitting in a burned out home somewhere that nobody gathered up. No, he went and took it from the loot pile that was dedicated to the Lord. And then it says he dissembled, which means to lie or to deceive. Now, I, I don't know exactly what that means. I don't know if that means somebody saw him walking with a, a bag of stuff and said, what you got there? Oh, you know, my aunt was cleaning out the tent, whatever, you know, we, and I figured, hey, we could use this stuff. There's a couple extra outfits under here. I don't know if that's what he did. I don't know if it's just the matter of the fact that he hid it and he didn't come clean about taking it. I don't know exactly what the lie was, But the the idea here is he deceived people into thinking he hadn't done anything wrong. So it wasn't just that he took something, but it's that this person tried to hide it to such a degree as to get away with it. Not only that, but that they've kept up the act despite the loss at Ai. That after an obvious judgment from God, or at least removal of blessing from God, he still hadn't come forward. All the way back in the garden, it wasn't disobedience that got humanity in trouble. It was trying to cover it up. Remember the Lord, what is the first thing he says to him? Adam, what have you done? Right? I fully believe with all my heart, if Adam had come clean with God, I don't know what the solution would have been, but I can guarantee it wouldn't have been what it was. In First John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, we read it in our scripturing, but it tells us, this then is a message that we have heard from him and we declare to you. This is what Jesus taught us that we want to share with you. We saw him, touched him, handled him, felt him, all that kind of stuff, heard him. So we want to pass on to you what he told us, and this is what he told us that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So if we say that we have fellowship with him, if we have a a good relationship with him, but walk in darkness, we are lying. We do not the truth. You're lying. You're lying to yourself and you're lying to others. On the other hand, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, literally the Greek reads, is continually cleansing us from all sin. There's just this continual fountain washing us as long as we stay in the light. You know, it doesn't say here that if we obey 100% all the time and never make any mistakes that we we have a relationship with God and with each other and and we're good. It just says we got to walk in the light. Jesus in John chapter 3 described what that meant. He says, This is condemnation that light has come into the world but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that practices evil hates the light. Neither comes to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that does truth comes to the life that his deeds may be manifest revealed that they are wrought in God. In other words, it's not that the believer is perfect. It's not that someone who's walking with God is always doing the right thing. It's that they Live in the light so that their deeds are exposed to God, so that God can go, Hey, Will, I wasn't kind. Oh, I wasn't, Lord. No, you need to go fix that. Okay, Lord. Do you see the difference? The Lord comes and says, Hey, Will, that wasn't kind. I go, What? What do you mean, unkind? I don't know what you're talking about. Well, that thing you just did, you know, to that person who cut you off. I wasn't mean to that person who cut me off. They don't have any right to do that to me. I mean, that's walking in darkness. Walking in light is when it's all out before the Lord and he can put his finger on whatever he wants and he can say, that's good, my son or my daughter. Or he can say, son, daughter, I need, you to, I need you to work on that. I need you to change. Now, if we say that we don't have any sin, he says we deceive not others but ourselves and the truth is not in us. We say, no, I don't have that, I'm good. But if we confess our sins, that's what walking in the light is. Saying the same thing about our sin that God does. When God comes to us and says, well, that was awful. That's not the example I've given to you. That's not what I've called you to be. My my word says this is how you're supposed to love your wife or this is how you're supposed to raise your kids or this is how you're supposed to treat your brother, your sister, and the Lord. Oh, This is how you treat your enemy. Oh, okay, Lord, I, I agree with you. That was wrong and I don't want to do that anymore. Will you work in my life? I choose to be different, but will you fill me with your spirit so I can live that out? If we do that... It says that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, oh, it's not just if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But if we say we haven't sinned, when he says it is sin, well, then we make him a liar. And then guess what? His word isn't in us. If his word says this is wrong and you go, that's not wrong. Well, now you're calling God a liar. You make him a liar and his word is not in you. And that's not a characteristic of someone who has a relationship with God here we see this guy. Sin is never okay, but God is ever merciful. He's always willing to forgive if we'll humbly come clean and repent. But Achan didn't do that. It was horrible that he took something from the loot pile. But I guarantee you, if he had come to Joshua and said, Joshua, I did something really stupid, and, and I, I need to know how to make it right. I, I, here's the stuff I took. I want to make it right with the Lord. I guarantee you he could have brought a trespass offering or a sin offering, whatever, and everything could have been made right. And Ai, in chapter 7, would have never happened. So having corrected Joshua's misunderstanding of the situation, now the Lord answers Joshua's second question, which is, how do I fix this? And so at the end of verse 12, the Lord tells him in Joshua 7, he says, neither will I be with you anymore except you destroy the accursed person from among you. Reading that and reading The end of this chapter tends to provoke angry responses from people. How can God be so harsh? How can God kill this guy and his whole family for for what happened here? But when we read this chapter, we must never forget everything that's preceded in Genesis through Deuteronomy. Chapter after detailed chapter explains how a holy God could dwell in the midst of of a sinful people and the importance of them living by those rules. Achan knew full well what he was doing was wrong. And by seeking to cover it up, he ignored everything he'd seen in the desert, every judgment God had brought for the violations of his law. He knew the cost for his behavior. He knew the danger it put the entire nation in. And yet he still decided to do it and in the end becomes a murderer of at least 36 people. And so this isn't something that Joshua just needs to take care of. This is something the entire nation needs to recommit themselves to following the Lord in and make a clean break with Achan. And so in verse 13, the Lord says up, which again, I seems harsh, but it's, it just shows you how shell-shocked Joshua is. He still hasn't gotten up yet. The Lord told him, why are you on your face? <laughs> Joshua is still on his face. And so the Lord told him, get up. <laughs> it's not time to be praying. And I know Joshua, you got to be thinking, if you're Joshua, you got to be so stunned at this person's selfishness. What happened, Lord? What did someone do? They, they put the entire nation at risk. They, they're responsible for these 36 dead men. The Lord says, get up, you need to sanctify the people and go tell them to sanctify themselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in the midst of you, O Israel, and you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. The Lord says, you guys need to rededicate yourselves to God. That's what the word sanctify means, to consecrate or dedicate yourself to the Lord. You need to rededicate yourself to the Lord and distance yourself from this thing because as long as it's in your midst, you will lose See, God communicates here. I want to bless you again, but that will not happen until you deal with the secret sin. Can you imagine that announcement goes out? Hey, Everybody, uh, I know. I know it's been a rough day. I know a lot of you are hurting right now. A lot of you are scared. But the Lord's told me this is what's going on. So we need to root out this thing. Can you imagine the witch hunt that would have occurred? Everybody been digging in somebody else's tent. I always knew it was that neighbor of mine. So the Lord. He doesn't want a witch hunt. That might harm innocent people. God says, I will root out the offender since they refuse to confess their crime. So verse 14, here's what God says he'll do. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord selects, likely through the priests Urim and Thummim, and a lot of people think they were two rocks that he used to hear what God's will was in the situation. I don't know. They could have used a different way. But the Lord will somehow show which tribe he's selecting. And then when the tribe is selected, everybody else, you know, all the other representatives of those tribes, they won't be selected anymore. But then when the tribe is selected, every head of each family of that tribe needs to come forward. And then according to the families thereof, and the family which the Lord shall take, well, then you'll take household. So is it Aunt Bob? Is it Uncle Jeb? Is it Mom or Dad? It, the idea here is through this situation, a how, an actual household will be taken, and the household which the Lord shall take, then each individual in that household will come forward, and the Lord will select out who did it. And it shall be that he that is taken with the accursed things shall be burnt with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has wrought folly in Israel. Again, Achan knew full well what he was doing here. The word here wrought folly, it means to do a disgraceful thing by defying a moral standard. This is not a mistake. He knew full well what he was doing. And his family knew full well his defiance and exhibited as well by helping him to cover it up. Now, with this announcement going out, you would think Achan would finally come forward, right? I mean, how do you escape God? How would they know? The fact that Joshua knows, already knows that the gig is up, and yet he still holds the entire nation hostage. Why would he think he would escape tomorrow's exposing? You see, that's the danger of secret sin. We somehow convince ourselves that coming to the light, that exposing our sin is the worst thing that can happen to us, that we can keep even God from exposing us if we just stay the course. And there is no hiding from God. The only hope for escape from judgment is to come into the light and throw yourself on God's mercy because he's ever merciful. Now Achan, he chooses to remain hidden. So tomorrow comes around and we go through the whole thing. It says, so Joshua rose up early in the morning and he brought Israel by their tribes. And which tribe was selected? Judah, Achan's tribe. And so then he brought the families of Judah and he took the family of the Tsarites. And then, so he brought all the family of the Zarhites man by man and Zabdi was taken. So then he brought the whole family of Zabdi there man by man. And lo and behold, Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken, was singled out by the Lord. And so here Joshua says unto Achan, my son, give, I pray you glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession unto him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Many read this again, this chapter, and they get angry at God. But do you, do you see in this whole process how merciful God's been? God gave Achan the defeat at Ai to confess, to show him that he knew. On the next day, every single gathering of people to be chosen was an opportunity for Achan to come clean. God gave Achan all day before to sanctify himself so he could do the right thing. But in every stage, Achan did not obey the Lord. How many chances to confess or make things right does God have to give a person for us to deem him fair and just? How many is it? Because even here, when it's too late, God gives Achan the opportunity to make things right before he dies. He says, give honor, give glory, give respect to God. See, Achan disrespected God's knowledge, God's power, and God's holiness every step of the situation. But God still gives him the chance to come clean. He can't escape his judgment at this point in this life, but he can make things right with God before the end. And thankfully, Achan does. And Achan answered Joshua and said, indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment, it means a beautiful Babylonian cloak, a common garment back in that day, very colorful but just common. He saw 200 shekels of silver, that's the equivalent of about $60,000 in our day, so it's not a, a small amount. And a wedge of gold, it actually means something carved in the shape of a tongue. I'm not sure why he took that. That was worth 50 shekels in weight. It's a little bit over a pound of pure gold. He says, when I saw them among the spoils, the loot pile, he goes, I coveted them and I took them. And behold, they are hidden in the earth in the middle of my tent and the silver is underneath it. It was that simple. He wanted something that wasn't his, so he took it and then he sought to cover up the theft. Not complicated. And so Joshua, verse 22, Joshua sent messengers and they ran into the tent because they want to fix this quickly. And behold, it was hidden in his tent, and the silver underneath it. And so they took them, all the stolen goods, out of the midst of the tent, and brought them unto Joshua, and unto all the children of Israel. And they laid them out before the Lord, where they belonged. They put them back in their proper place. This was part of them making things right. You know, it's interesting when Joshua replies, "Behold, it was hidden in his tent." It's almost like twenty years later, Joshua's writing this, and he's still shocked by it. Behold, it was it was there. He really did this. He's still stunned. There was the source of Israel's defeat. So all the people here, they would see Achan's guilt, that his family covered it up as well, and that now things were returned and restored to the Lord. I believe with all my heart that if Achan had confessed beforehand that God would have shown mercy and granted Israel a fresh start, but now it had to be dealt with. Understand this, God is merciful, but there is a point where we run out of time and God must deal with us. And so verse 24, it says, And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold and his sons and his daughters, and his oxen, and his asses, and his sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why hast thou troubled us? And that's the word that was used in 6.18. It doesn't mean, why did you annoy us? It means, why have you brought God's judgment on us? The Lord shall judge you this day, trouble you this day. And so all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. And as a result, the Lord turned. The word there, turned, it means to, to turn around or to pivot the Lord was against Israel, now he was with them again. He turned from the fierceness of his anger, wherefore the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor, or trouble, unto this day. The valley gets its name because of what happened there. So Israel rededicates themselves to the Lord by, by all of them being there to stone them. They communicate their clear break with Achan's rebellion, and so God can restore his blessing and move them forward in victory. I realize this is a sober end to our chapter. These are real people who were stoned. Everything they had was destroyed. But again, it was under the ban. That's what they did to Jericho. Because they took this thing, they became just like Jericho and had to be dealt with that way. If you've been experiencing defeat in your Christian life due to secret sin, I can't urge you enough to bring it into the light. I can't urge you enough. The Bible says if we sow to the flesh, we'll reap corruption. It's just a a spiritual law. My very first pastor used to say, you can't lie down with dogs and not expect to not get up with fleas. The idea behind it is that if you sow to your flesh, you're gonna reap things that die. That's what our flesh does. You know, it, it rots. That's why we have to take showers every day. So if you sow to the flesh you're going to reap dead things. Bring it into the light because if you continue to hide, it will slowly destroy you. No, we, and we don't stone people. That's not our job. You know, the New Testament, it's vastly different than the communal and national law that Israel had. The church is not a national entity. That, that's not how we deal with sin. But it will begin to destroy you and everything around you. And it's not worth it. Whatever you think might happen from bringing that sin into the light that's bad it's nowhere near compared to what will happen if you continue to hide it. So if you've got secret sin, I I plead with you, I, I beg you, bring it into the light. Deal with it. Don't hide it anymore so that the Lord can begin to work in that area of your life. Amen? Lord, we thank you for this sad and sober passage, Lord, of the tragedy of a man who you gave opportunity after opportunity to repent. 36 men died. Lord, then then tell them, sanctify yourself. Really focus on getting things right. Instead, can decided to focus on just keeping everything hidden. Lord, we won't, don't want to be those who pour our energy into hiding our sin. We want to pour our energy into our walk with you, dedicating ourselves to you. So Lord, if there's anything in our hearts right now, if there may be things that people are talking to you about right now, will you let them know that you forgive them, Lord, as they bring it to the light? Will you let them know that you'll work in their lives, Lord? And that will you... Give them the courage to talk to somebody about it so that it can come into that full light and they can get the help they need. Lord, bless your people today. Protect us from secret sin. Protect us from pride that thinks that we can get away with it, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Secret sin can hinder any forward movement in our spiritual life. We never have to be afraid to bring our sin into the light and confess it before God. He longs to be merciful to us if we would just repent, turn from our sin, and turn to Him. He will never turn us away when we come to Him humbly and transparently. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today.